welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on stage. I will be dancing on stage sometime this month, next month. I believe this episode's <laughs> at the time of recording. We're, we're recording in late June. I'm trying to have a summer, so I'm trying to get a lot of episodes out. But I think it should be August when this episode is out. So catch me on stage at one of the local clubs here in Vancouver, Canada. If you find yourself passing through or if you live here, come chat with me. Come say hi. Um, chat about the show. I love it when people do that. It's happened more, more often than not. So um, I really enjoy this conversation come find me everything's on my instagram if you are interested in that i am also a digital content creator i'm also a or was also a former sugar baby a long time ago almost a decade ago and to chat about those experiences in my earlier episodes uh, and bonus episodes in the past four seasons so i bring the show to you the listener because i'm trying to do my little part in the industry in terms of trying to destigmatize sex work because our work is highly stigmatized a lot of people often don't understand the work that is that the work that it is that we do and i'm just trying to bring real people on and you know just get the real story and also get their lived experiences and allow them to have the space to speak about this kind of stuff in a very transparent fashion because that's just the way that I roll. So a couple things before we get into this week's guest. Wow, I really cannot speak today. I am sorry. I haven't recorded a podcast in like a week and a half, (laughs) so I feel a little bit rusty. But um, before we get into our exciting guest this week, a couple announcements here. Obviously, if you have been a listener for a while, you will know um, I do have a Patreon, and that's where you will find the video exclusive to this episode and all the episodes from season four onwards. And I just wanted to give some of our top tier patrons a little shout out because when you are in the top tier, not only do you get um, all of the access to all the bottom tiers, but you also get uh, some fan recognition on the show. So I just want to say hello and a big, big thank you to Jay Sunsern from BC. We also have Justin Erickson all the way from, I believe, Vancouver, Washington. And we also have uh, Arup Sarkar, who's also here based in BC. And Snoo Snoo, who I believe is based in uh, Germany. So thank you so much for supporting the show, adding your comments and all your feedback for all the episodes. I really super appreciate that. If you are interested in our Patreon account, it's just a little thing that you can do to help support the show. It is patreon.com slash stripped by Sia. And uh, also another quick announcement here. I'm also now on the Skyhawk After Dark TV and radio network as well. So Skyhawk After Dark, you can find that online. I believe it's Skyhawk after dark uh, that is all about adult industry related podcasts youtube channels video all that kind of content all in one area i'm super excited to be a fun part of this exciting group of people so shout out to brian who hooked me up and lily who i had met um Lily Craven, who I had met uh, back at the Why Not reunion in Tempe this past April. So thank you for connecting with me and getting me on your fantastic network. Feel free to give them a check out and a peep later on 
after this conversation. So I'm sorry, this is so much longer. It's like double the double the length of time that I usually speak about myself. And I promise the rest of the hour will not be speaking about myself. I'm excited to bring on this week's guest who I connected with on Twitter and through actually the CBC who interviewed me, uh, I guess now back in what, June at this point? Right, where they asked my opinion on um, what do you think about the economy and the recession and like how uh, the stripper index is what they like to call it, um, how that can be an indicator or telltale times of the recession because people aren't going out as much, people aren't as tipping, etc. And the host of that show, The Cost of Living, Paul Havershoot, he actually mentioned this week's guest, who is Lula Blue, and... I think he has actually interviewed you before in the past and you're like his go-to and he had nothing but great things to say about you. And I'm just like, why does that name sound familiar? And I'm like, I'm not sure if I know who that person is. And then I went on Twitter and it turned out I was already following you and we were already following each other. (laughs) So the world is so small. I am so very excited to bring Lula Blue onto the show. Lula is a full-service sex worker. She's also an advocate, um, an activist, a queer sex worker as well, volunteer. She's on the advisory committee at Shift in Calgary, which is a nonprofit organization, which um, she will be speaking about later on in today's show. But I'm very excited to bring her on because I've just heard so many great things and I had so many comments everywhere that were like, oh my God, she's She's going to be amazing. Like, I have no questions, but I just want to say how amazing she is. So welcome to the show, Lula Blue. Hi. Oh, my God. That was such a cute introduction. I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Um, It's so funny, like, how um, this came about, like, us meeting each other this way. Um, Like you said, like, we were already following each other. And um, it was really funny because a few weeks ago, I was speaking on a panel for, well, not quite a panel, like kind of a guest guest in a lecture for um, University of Calgary. And leading up to guesting on that, um, in those lectures, I was kind of like, I, I want to reconnect with some sex work activism. So your podcast was something that I had saved on my Spotify for so long that I needed to listen to. And so I had listened to quite a few, like binge listened to quite a few episodes of you um, leading into that. And then like the day after you had me- uh, messaged me on Twitter um, saying that you had been in contact with Paul and everything. So yeah, so hilarious. Like I was like, wow, I've just been listening to your voice for the last like four days <laughs> leading up to this. So weird. Um, the world is so small. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Paul interviewed me two years ago, um, kind of in the midst of the pandemic. I think we were in the second or third wave of the pandemic at that point. It was like in the fall. Um, and uh, a friend of his, uh, Marcello DeSinto, um, had interviewed me for a couple of articles um, that summer. So he had actually connected me with Paul from CBC. So that was, yeah, so many connections. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh really my gosh. Cool. It's so cool. And like, yes, you do a lot of activism um, in the city that you were based. And I will not name the city in just case for privacy reasons and whatnot. But um, you do a lot. And it's just, I am so excited to hear about all the things in your own words, not just the things that are read online. Um, but can you tell the audience in your own words, in your own terms about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, I can also say like I can mention um, if you don't feel comfortable mentioning things on my behalf, I can mention them later. Um, I'm pretty open. I'm very like out as a sex worker. I'm face out um, as a sex worker. And so 
yeah, I don't mind mentioning that I am from Calgary, Alberta. Um, Yay. Sorry, what was the what was your other question? In that? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, shout out to you for my fellow Canadians here. I just I'm I'm so excited to have another Canadian on the show because it's been like a long time since I had another Canadian. So I was like, yay. Um, the question was, um, who are you in your own words in terms like what it is that you do and tell the audience all that. <laughs> yeah so like I said you had already kind of done a really perfect introduction that's usually kind of the intro that I go with is that I'm a full service sex worker so that means um, that I meet my clients in person and I have intimate sexual content uh, contact with my clients um, the reason why we use these umbrella terms sex work full service um, is that we don't want to subscribe to the um, the structure of the hierarchy um, which puts oftentimes outdoor uh, full service workers at the bottom of a pyramid and anyone who has less and less physical contact with their clients up at the top of the pyramid, this structure is really damaging to our community. It causes a lot of lateral violence. Um, so yeah, when we're using terms like this, that's that's the reason why. Um, I like to use the umbrella term of sex worker in general. I do um, sometimes do content creation. Uh, I kind of burnt myself out on OnlyFans, to be honest, um, <laughs> during the pandemic. So I haven't been posting on there as frequently. So it's just like my library of nudes at this point. Um, but <laughs> it's too. still available. <laughs> yeah, very relatable. <laughs> I think a lot of people kind of had that same um, pivot uh, with their online services. I also offer virtual services. Um, so like phone, uh, sex over the phone, or just like catch up phone calls, video calls, um, either just socially or um, sexually. Uh, I do a um, text message package of just like check-in text messages throughout the day. I also do love letter packages. Um, I send Polaroid photos yeah, through the mail. Oh, um, I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, my virtual services, um, I started offering like like I mentioned, like through the pandemic, when we kind of had to do that pivot from in-person to online stuff for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I really enjoyed doing the virtual stuff. So I've kept that um, on my website as options for services. And it's been really nice for like long distance clients or mm -hmm. clients that just aren't comfortable coming to see me in person yet, or um, just people that are saving up <laughs> money to come see me because it's fucking expensive. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, cool. I'll be the first one to admit that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no one ever talks about that too because, like, they just see dollar signs um, a lot of the times. And I just feel like sometimes people just view themselves. I mean, we are all queens <laughs> for sure. And we do, like, you, you should be able to, you know, know your value and what you're worth. But it is really expensive. And for, for you to get regulars <laughs> on an ongoing basis, like, that's a really hefty chunk of change yeah yeah I consider anybody that has seen me more than once to be a regular even if you see me once every two and a half years um you're still a regular of mine you're still one of my lovers and uh yeah I don't mind people having to take some time in between to save up money because it is it's an expensive investment but uh it's worth it if that's what you're after yeah. definitely worth it for sure <laughs> and we'll plug all your links and handles and all that stuff at the end of the show but also if you are like looking at this or listening to this on your phone or whatnot um all the links are in the show notes as well so go peep 
Lula's website and all that stuff too. So um, I really wanted to kind of get into things with you and also just to learn more about you and your experience and also just your personal story as well. So I am always curious. And of course, if you've listened to the episodes before, we'll always know like, where did this all begin for you in terms of sex work? How did you get started? And the audience is always interested in hearing your story. So please go ahead. Yeah, so I'll try not to um, go into too crazy detail or like certain stories just because of for time's sake. Don't worry about it. I'll gatekeep. So okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you in charge of keeping me on track. So um, I got into the sex industry about six years ago. I feel like through the pandemic, like time has been. I have a really hard time keeping track of years and months and stuff like that. So if any of this sounds inaccurate, it might be Uh, (laughs) just because I'm trying to remember like what years and stuff. So it was like 2016 um, in October, 2016 that I first got a job with an agency here in Calgary. Um, I had found this job opportunity um, on Craigslist. I was looking for um, porn like agencies to work with at the time because I wanted to do porn um but then I realized that uh Calgary Alberta Canada isn't really a huge hub for and it wasn't at the time (laughs) definitely still isn't uh, (laughs) a huge hub for um porn agencies so I kind of uh gave up on that right away (laughs) realizing I'd have to like move to the United States probably for that um Anyway, so I found this escorting agency that was hiring um, escorts and um, it said like legal licensed agency in Calgary offering out call services. And I was like legal, like I thought that prostitution was illegal. So I started researching into a bunch of things and and going on to a lot of Reddit forums. And um, I think at the time I was on Tumblr, so I was following a lot of like escorts on different Tumblr blogs, talking about getting into the industry and stuff like that. So um, once I educated myself a little bit about it, as much as you know you could uh, at the time, um, I yeah started working with this agency. Um, so they were out call only, which means that they were only able to um, send providers to visit the clients. So the clients have to host, um, wherever they're at, if it's at their home, if it's at a hotel room, if it's in, um, semi-truck, a camper van, whatever, yeah, <laughs> you're going to the client. Um, so this is kind of like the term call girl, where you call a phone number, um, the agency will then call the provider that you're either, um, trying to get in contact with, or it's on the schedule or just whoever's available. Um, the, So I would call the client back, confirm the booking, um, explain my services. Um, The rates were set by the agency. And then I would have to coordinate with a driver of the agency's choosing, go to the clients, um, have my booking, get back in with the driver, go home sort of thing. So um, this all seemed great to me. And uh, yeah, just kind of like as the story goes on with working with a few um, agencies at the beginning of my career, um, I had a lot of like really negative experiences working with those agencies. Um, I didn't have a lot of coping skills to cope with some of the things that were happening to me. Uh, I was 21 years old, so I was an adult. I was doing this with my own volition. I was not coerced into getting into sex work in any way. Um, that being said, I was definitely um, taken advantage of in this situation by this agency. Um, and, you know, my naive 
myths around the industry, you know, some of the stigmas that I carried around sex workers in general, even though I had a very like positive view of sex work, I think than more so than the average person, I still carried a lot of stigmas that society held against sex workers. So um, sort of leading into like my va- my value for myself, my self-esteem, um, you know, like how did I view myself as a sex worker? And so all of these kind of factors played into when horrible things would start to happen. I kind of felt like I deserved it. I, you know, I put myself in this situation. Of course, this is going to happen. It's just a side effect of the job. Like all of these things being told, you know, if you can't handle this, this, and this, how are you supposed to make money? Um, so yeah, horrible Mm. things that are not true. (laughs) And, uh, you know, being independent now realizing how much of that was just, um, absolutely not the case and didn't have to be the case for me. And um, I find that it's like my biggest passion now is to try to like educate newer sex workers as much as I can or just help advocate for sex work in any way that I can um, to the general public so that people understand that those types of things are not just side effects of the job. They don't have to be Mm -hmm. um, and that there is a healthy way to work in this industry. Um, So, yeah, during that time, I, you know, I think leading up to that, I had um, issues with uh, you know, substance abuse, um, mainly alcohol for me. Um, I would use alcohol to cope with any life situation. I would use it to celebrate. I would use it when I was stressed out. I would use it out of boredom. Um, I would use it when I was angry, like all of these different factors. Um, I would use it when I was tired and I needed to like get through, um, certain events or whatever. Um, another main thing that I used alcohol for was social anxiety. I suffered, greatly I still suffer with this but uh, less so now I have a lot of healthier ways to cope with it but yeah social anxiety was a big one for me um dealing with going out to parties or meeting new people or yeah just making new friends um I really struggled with that so drinking was um definitely the the lubricant <laughs> to get stuff like that going and then getting sex work <laughs> mm-hmm. was very nervous Um, meeting my clients in person, didn't have a lot of guidance, didn't really have anybody there to show me how to do what I was doing, just kind of had an agency call me and tell me to go to this guy's house. And I had to figure all the rest of it out on my own. And so um, sometimes alcohol was a bit of a lubricant there too. Um, I tried at the beginning to have boundaries around that of like, okay, don't drink with your clients. And then that kind of slowly bled into like, okay, don't get drunk with your clients. You can drink with them, but don't get drunk with your clients. And then it started bleeding into like, okay, you can get drunk with these clients, <laughs> but not these ones. So it's like, started to kind of get really blurry um, really fast. Uh, being an independent contractor, not really being held to like a set schedule, really um, not really having any consistency with work or having to wake up at a specific time or like anything like that. Um it sort of gave me more and more excuses to drink, day drink, drink all day, binge drink for a few days, Um, wasn't held accountable to anybody. Sex work is also extremely isolating. (laughs) So um, especially at the beginning, I wasn't out to everybody that I knew. Um, So, you know, not being able to kind of share the experiences that were happening or you know talk about my job to anyone else or even just the fact that like my schedule was very different from friends and family so when everybody else is at work or sleeping um I'm bored and awake and you know 
want companionship or want to hang out with friends or want to do things. So drinking was definitely one of those things that uh, I used to cope with the loneliness and isolation of sex work as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think. So got into the sex industry 2016. Um, When did I get sober? I think I started to realize I had a significant problem um, with drinking with more so like trying to stop drinking. Like anytime I would be like, okay, something really fucked up happened. I think I really need to like take a break from drinking alcohol. Um, that started to get more and more difficult to take a break. Um, so I would take, you know, like a month break or like a few weeks or, um, only drink on the weekends or try to only drink for special occasions, like these types of things. Um, but then, um, that special occasion would come around. I would drink for that occasion, but then I would drink for three or four days afterwards as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what we kind of call like the binge drinking, um, behavior. Um, I think in the summer of 2018, I went on a trip to Europe and, um, was backpacking with a good friend of mine. And, um, on this trip was the first time I started noticing like withdrawal symptoms from alcohol. Really? Um, so if we would have kind of like a few days of drinking and then I had a break from drinking, like maybe even just a day, um, or even just the morning, like not having a beer in the morning, I started to notice my body was like kind of shaky and just like, really like, and it would feel better immediately as soon as I had a beer. Yeah. Um, my friend also mentioned to me that she started noticing we would be out somewhere. I would be super quiet and shy until the waiter brought me my beer. And even without drinking the beer, just the like having it set down in front of me, my attitude would completely change. I would be really confident, really outgoing, um, super talkative with strangers. And so she found that that to be really interesting. It had nothing to do with me even being drunk. It was just like connection. Yes, yes. Um, so that was kind of the first time I started noticing like withdrawal symptoms. Um, I went to a music festival a few weeks after I got back from that trip. And when I got back from that music festival, the withdrawal symptoms were a little more intense. Um, yeah, it was at this point that I was like, okay, I need to like actually told all my friends, I'm going to take a a significant break from drinking. I'm not going to drink for the entire month of September. Um, I need you guys to support me in this. Don't like invite me out don't like you know what I mean like I just need to like really focus on it um and what what ended up happening was I made it I think like seven days into my goal month and um and then a friend from out of town came into town and we went out I had one drink that night and then the next morning I was like I only had one I'm so proud of myself I did so good And then that day that I was so proud of myself for only having one drink the night before, I immediately went into like a four day bender, um, ended up doing, ended up doing drugs too. And like, kind of like was coming down off of like MDMA and cocaine and, um, and obviously alcohol like four days later. And was just like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? Um, that time I like really freaked out my roommate, um, not really telling her where I was or when I was going to be coming home when previously that had never been an issue. I was always very reliable when it came to stuff like that and making her really scared for my safety, um, was definitely something that I was like, okay, that is a big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this, at this point I was like, okay, clearly I can't get sober on my own. Um, clearly I need like some sort of help outside of this. And 
I had a family member who was, um, you know, in the uh, addiction sort of in- industry, um, addiction services, like yeah. helping people with addiction. I don't want to say addiction industry. I feel like that's a liquor store. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, I had a family member that worked in addiction. So I was pretty educated about how like treatment looked, how um, addiction therapy looked like, me- going to meetings, support group meetings, stuff like that. So um, kind of already knew what that world would look like. So I wasn't like, was nervous about getting involved into that kind of that side of things. But I also feel like I had a realistic idea of what that would look like for me. Um, So I got into contact with that family member, um, who connected me with uh, my psychologist, my addictions um, psychologist. Um, And it was really interesting, because my addiction psychologist was actually a man. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like he was a really like good influence on me at the time I had a lot of like um, trauma from the men in my life in personal relationships in work in (laughs) whatever Um, so working through that um, and having a man who was um, safe to go to and confide in and everything like I think that really helped to kind of rewire a lot of um, a lot of the fears that I had around men for sure it helped me process a lot of that kind of stuff so that was good Um, he was also sex worker friendly, (laughs) which was amazing. So I was able to, I don't think that like he originally was, I think just me being unapologetic about what I did for work and and just being so outspoken about it and just kind of saying like, Hey, this is what I do for work. I don't want to have to quit my job. I want to find a way to do it safely um, and still be able to maintain my sobriety and my recovery. Um, and he just met me where I was at and, you know, went home and educated himself on sex work so that I didn't really have to, Awesome. um, and was like a really great ally during that time. So that really helped to kind of boost my confidence, um, to be able to go forward in the recovery process and, and just, you know, be open about who I was and, um, you know, like wanting to stay involved in sex work. Cause I think that's like such a common thing that ends up happening with a lot of people that go into recovery is they're told that they need to quit working. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. No. And um, realistic sometimes too. I mean, I know sometimes in the, I think that's almost like a stereotype too, um, you know, suggesting to quit our jobs um, because there might be a bit more exposure um, to alcohol or, or some kind of substances. Um, I just feel like it feeds into that old stereotype that, you know, we're all addicted or we're all high on drugs and we can only, um, operate if we have say a glass of wine or something, you know, something along those lines. Right. So the reality is like, there's so many careers and industries where, um, people struggle with, substance use and need substances to cope with their jobs. Um, And I think it's more so about instead of quitting what you do for work, just trying to figure out um, healthier ways to cope with that. So that was something that I was working on. Um, I started going to 12 step meetings right away, just because they were the most accessible. Um, I have a lot of religious trauma from my childhood, (laughs) raised super Christian. So um, that wasn't something that I wanted to stick with long term. Um, The 12 step meetings are very much rooted in Christianity. And and though they are extremely helpful for so many people, and they're such accessible meetings, um, it just wasn't something that I thought was going to be super helpful for me. And uh, 
yeah, so I sought out alternative meeting options, which in Calgary was really nice because that was really accessible at the time. Um, we had meetings like Smart Recovery, which is a um, science-based uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, cool. Um, kind of meeting um so that one's really nice they give you like little worksheets of like different things to work on for your mental health and and how to get organized and how to have you know your personal life balance and um just all of that kind of stuff anger management like all of that so that was really cool um there was also a meeting called recovery dharma which was a meditation and buddhist based um recovery meeting sort of influenced by the 12 steps but then taking away the christianity piece and putting in buddhism and mindfulness yeah um so that one was really great um i really enjoyed um the people that were involved in that meeting so that i kind of like got really immersed into that community right away and i started to volunteer to facilitate some of those meetings as well um so i would just you know come in and open the doors and um, start up the meeting and lead everyone in conversation, but just kind of like let everybody talk kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. I found that those meetings, and this was really funny because like before I never thought that I would able be able to do public speaking. That was like one of my biggest fears. Fucking hated speaking in front of other people. Like I mentioned, <laughs> I have social anxieties. So like that type of thing was really terrifying to me, but I think there's something about going into a group of people and this could be a group of five, 10 sometimes 30 <laughs> people wow. in a room um so it could be a small meeting or a big meeting and to be there emotional crying like just be like absolutely vulnerable in front of that many strangers mm-hmm. i think just like again started to rewire some of those fears some of those um you know valid trauma that i had from you know social situations or getting embarrassed or embarrassing myself through my addiction or whatever um, it helped to rewire that to make me more comfortable with vulnerability. It helped me to be more comfortable into speaking in groups um, and to be in leadership roles. So, wow. um, yeah, just kind of like moving up naturally from just like going to those meetings to like facilitating them later and volunteering with the organizations that put them on and going to different events and helping organize different events um, just seemed like a gradual process that made sense for me. How long were you in treatment for? Oh, yeah. So I also went to treatment. Um, I went to a women's only um, rehab center. I was in treatment for, I can't remember if it was six or eight weeks. <laughs> Again, like a whole whole other blur. That was in um, 2019. Okay. Yeah. Um, early 2019. Like I went into treatment in February. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had gotten sober originally in September of 2018. And then... Um, had to was on the wait list for treatment that entire time until February and was able to go in. So going to those meetings was helpful to like get me through until I had to go to treatment. Um, But yeah, I think six to eight weeks. And then when I got out of treatment, I still had um, continuing care, which was um, just counseling once a week. You'd come back to the treatment center. So you're already out um, living your life and you come back to the treatment center, just do group therapy with a bunch of people that were in, treatment with you um and and your counselor that you're comfortable with so yeah that was really nice and I did that um for about eight months after I graduated from treatment so yeah just a lot of (laughs) a lot of treatment a lot of meetings a lot of therapy right um yeah a lot of counseling and stuff and quite yeah like I mean it's anyone's struggling with substance abuse 
or substance issues. Like it's, it's not easy, first of all, to quit. Um, so I have so many questions for you. First of all, like you mentioned your roommate getting really scared for you. Was that kind of a pivotal moment for you or was like that the final wake up call for you or was there anything else that just kind of contributed? I was just like, okay, this, this is it. Like, this is too much shit's going on. Shit's hitting the fan. I need to do something to take care of myself kind of thing. Yeah, I think like, I really hate using the term high functioning. I think people kind of overuse that term in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think like a lot of people can understand what I'm talking about when I say like a high functioning addict of somebody who is still able to get to work on time um, is still able to kind of like function while I'm using, like, even though I might be like really obnoxious or doing kind of erratic behavioral things, I'm not like passing out or throwing up or, um, getting into like a lot of danger, dangerous situations that way. I'm not drinking and driving, like those types of things weren't happening. Um, and so a lot of my friends and family thought my behavior was normal. They thought that it was just going through like a partying phase, Um, so it's harder to identify when you have a problem, when you're still able to like function in your life. Um, but it was getting out of control. It was affecting my health. It was still affecting my relationships. It was still affecting my work. Um, and so when it started affecting my roommate, um, who's my best friend, she's still, we're best friends to this day. We just don't live together anymore. But, um, when it started to affect her and I started seeing the turmoil it was causing her, um, that's when I kind of started to snap out of it a little bit. And I was just like looking, um, outside of myself a little bit more and realizing the impact I was having on the people around me. And once I started looking for the impact I was having on people around me, I started realizing like, oh, that's been there all along. It's just that I was kind of justifying it in my head before. Yeah. Was it affecting like, um, the work with your clients as well? Yeah, I have a few stories about like, getting too intoxicated with certain clients, like clients that also maybe had um, substance abuse issues that would invite me over and we would just drink together. And then I would go and see another client immediately after that. And I'm drunk, like I'm wasted. Like how, how good could my service possibly be when I'm going to do that? Especially since a lot of the service that I offer is like girlfriend experience, companionship, sitting there and listen, being an active listener and um, you know, really holding space for my clients. I do that a lot. Um, so, you know, not really being able to provide that type of service and they're still paying me to be there. Um, I think I made a lot of people really uncomfortable. Right. Um, so yeah, that could be pretty damaging as well. And then also just like, yeah, feeding into that, um, there's a lot of clients, I think through those agencies that had issues with, substance abuse and so it kind of just all feeds into each other of like I'm going to spend time with them while they're using and then I'm going to use with them and it's just like feeding into this toxicity in both of our lives and yeah it just wasn't wasn't good for anybody (laughs) no like do you still find yourself in those situations or like still like with those same clients or like and if so like how do you handle that So I think I'm pretty lucky with how I transitioned out of working with agencies into independent work, um, how I developed boundaries around my work life. Um, I put on my website that I am sober and like in recovery from alcohol specifically. Please do not bring alcohol to my house. Please do not show up drunk. Um, I have turned clients away before I have declined 
um, to take bookings before from people um, based on those factors. Um, I've also noticed that if a client is kind of having um, sort of like impulsive booking, so they'll, they'll try to like book me super last minute um, and you can kind of tell that the behavior is really impulsive and they're sort of using me to cope with something that they're dealing with in their life. Um, I turn down those bookings as well. I actually don't even offer same day bookings when I'm in Calgary, um, unless I'm touring or something like I don't, I don't like to do same day bookings. And that includes my virtual services as well. Cause I was finding like, I don't really want to be used as somebody's way to deal with, um, not even like to deal with, but just like, like avoiding things. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be your way of avoidance. Like if you want to come see me because you're stressed out and you need to decompress and you need to just like relax and have a good time, or you need me for companionship or you need me to, you know, um, I, I, I don't want to be something that is being used similarly to substances, um, as part of somebody's addiction. Um, so to avoid that, I do this that way. Um, not to say that there's any like morality around that. It's just more of like, I notice when I start seeing clients um, that are feeling that way, it triggers me uh, in my recovery. So I just try to avoid it in general, but yeah. I mean, speaking of recovery, like what, what has been the most helpful for you in your own, in your own personal recovery journey? Cause you mentioned a lot of things you've done so much. So yeah, I think like the main thing I would say is just the brutal honesty with my friends and family um, and the community building, like literally just pulling myself out of isolation and getting connected with community. Um, in my early recovery, that was the recovery community that was with meetings, that was with people that I went to treatment with. Um and now it's definitely the sex worker community. It's the roller skating community. It's <laughs> um, different, different advocacy and activism communities. It's the harm reduction community. So like, yeah. yeah, really like honing in on community and community building and just constantly keeping that up. That is definitely the most important thing. Yeah. It's right like, well, one, just to have a sense and feeling of belonging. And, and as you mentioned, to get yourself out of this isolatedness, um, being alone, um, having to like suffer alone or to go through things alone where you can't talk to anyone. Like that's really hard. And I think that's one of the hardest things in our, in our jobs is that, that, that thing, especially in that I find this happens so often with a lot of people that are starting out in sex work. Um, it's definitely something I went through, uh, when I was a sugar baby many years ago, just not having anyone to talk to. Cause like no one ever did what I did. I couldn't talk to anyone because it was looked down upon. So it's just like this like vicious cycle of just you constantly getting pushed into being alone. Um, so I'm really curious to hear about these support groups because I wish that was something that I had back in my day. And like, of course, now there's like the Twitter community, there's Reddit, there's like so many communities that are online. But like, I'm really curious to hear specifically about um, the sex worker support groups that you are involved with but, and also even how you even heard about these too. Yeah. So originally there were a few people local in Calgary. Um, one of them being a, a good friend of mine, Sultry Miss M, who was putting on workshops, kind of teaching about BDSM and kink. Um, and then also content creation. This was like 
pre-pandemics, uh, this was before OnlyFans started getting like super, super popular. Like it was around <laughs> for sure. And people were still using it. It was still already established, but it was definitely before like what it is now. Um, so I went to a couple of her workshops and then met some people that way. Um, and so that was a really cool way of meeting other sex workers uh, locally and meeting her. And um, there was somebody else at the time that was kind of doing different um, free activities that you could come to where you would learn. Um, we did like a self-defense class. We did um, um, a workshop on on taxes and um, things like that. So um, getting connected with the community that way. We also had just like random like sex worker um there was a, an agency of sex workers, more of like a collective of sex workers locally that would put on like orgy parties. So um, they would have their orgy party and you would bring your clients with you and um, you could just play with a bunch of different providers at these parties. And oh, that was a really cool. good way of networking as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so all of that kind of stuff, like it just really helped me like make friends in the industry um, and get connected with people. And then when I was doing all of these support groups in my addiction or in my recovery, I mean, um, to do with addiction, uh, I started realizing that like, I wasn't as comfortable talking about work in co-ed spaces. So in spaces where there was men and women, I didn't know if I was going to be running into clients. I didn't know if I was going to be running into people who like knew who I was, or maybe try to look me up later or something like that. Um, so I didn't feel comfortable like being completely honest with these people. And then also I was finding that there was things later on in my recovery that I was like, okay, like, I don't really need to be talking about like, um, early stages of recovery anymore. I've been, I've been sober for about a year now. I kind of want to talk about like how work has been affecting me. I kind of want to talk about the difficulties with the stigma in our industry. I kind of want to talk about how difficult it is to date as a sex worker. I kind of want to, you know, like I wanted to talk to other sex workers about these issues. And so at the time I started reading a book called Thriving in Sex Work, um, by Lola Davina. And, um, I really liked it. I have a really difficult time keeping my attention to like read a book all the way through, especially a nonfiction one. Um, so I was just reading like a couple chapters here and there. And I posted on Twitter, like, um, is there a support group out there somewhere for sex workers using this book? Because that would be so cool. And um, it was really funny because Lola ended up actually like responding to that tweet (laughs) and I just like had a total fangirl moment and was like oh my god like I love you so much and um she was like if you want to start one you should yeah you guys want to start this type of meeting like how you have my blessing please go for it like that would be awesome that's so cool um so yeah sure enough I just started hosting support group meetings at my house I already knew how to facilitate a support group um because of being in the recovery community so I just invited a bunch of uh, local workers over to my in-call and we had tea and snacks and um, read a chapter from the book and just had open discussions about it. And um, we did that, I think, like once a month for like quite a few months. Um, And then when COVID hit, we weren't able to see each other in person for a really long time. So I ended up moving the meetings online to Zoom. And when I did that, it opened it up. (laughs) So it wasn't just people in Calgary could come. It was people from Vancouver, from Toronto. Um, We started getting some people from Los Angeles and from Scotland and from Miami. And so it was really interesting. And like the group still stayed like relatively small and tight knit, but it was just really cool. Every time we would get a new person coming in every once in a while, 
Um, and we started having those meetings twice a week, every week for months on Zoom. Wow. Um, yeah, the friend that I mentioned, Sultry Miss M, started co-facilitating with me so that I could take time off. Yeah, <laughs> from doing, so I was doing these meetings like twice a week, every week for quite a while. So um, it was really nice to have some help. And then another good friend of ours, Sadie the Hunter, who's also a content creator and sex worker, um, she started helping to facilitate meetings. Now there's three of us that facilitate them over Zoom and we do them twice a month. And yeah. So freaking really cool. Like is... And may I see the name of the group as well? Yeah, sorry. So because of Lola Davina's book, Thriving in Sex Work, we started calling the meetings Thrive. Um, and then when I made the Twitter account, I called the group the Thrive Hive because it was kind of a nickname that we were all kind of talking about within the meetings. I realized later that there's a lot of like sex worker organizations called like Hive or Swarm mm -hmm. or like something to do with bees. Like it's really yeah. cool how that's <laughs> happened because um, I found that later. I was like, uh, as soon as I made that group, I was getting all of these like requests for these other sex worker groups, support <laughs> groups and organizations and they're all bee themed. And I yeah. just thought that that was really really cool yeah that is cool though I mean like when, when you do have new members is there like a vetting process because you know it's like they actually are sex workers not some rando out there trying to creep in like can you tell us about that as well yeah so I do all of that myself um the Thrive Hive Twitter page is private you can only follow it if you are a sex worker and that's like one of the only places that you can get the link to the zoom meetings anyways. Um, so anybody that follows that page, I personally will go through, click on their profile, see if they're a sex worker. If you're not visibly a sex worker on Twitter, it's so like, obviously like if you're not posting ads or you don't have it in your bio and you're not like, you know, you don't have a phone number or an email linked to it or a website or like stuff like that. Um, some people are a little bit trickier if they're just getting started out in the industry or they just have a new Twitter account, stuff like that. Like, obviously, there's more obvious ones where I can like tell right away that this is what you do for work. Um, and it's all facets of sex work as well, which makes it a little bit more difficult sometimes. So like content creators, um, dominatrixes, strippers, um, even retired sex workers as well. So like if somebody is a retired sex worker and they don't even have a social media presence anymore, that would I would require um, sort of like a reference from somebody else to vet you um, into the group. And then um, I've also like because I work with um, or volunteer, <laughs> I don't work work for them but I volunteer with shift here in Calgary so they um they they'll let their clients know my contact information so their clients can contact me and then they can get the zoom link that way so then at least I know that shift has vetted people yeah um but yeah that's typically how I go about it I mean well, well that if I'm unsure I'll just message somebody and try to get a better feel of, of who yeah. they are but yeah sorry go on no no yeah I mean like well now that you're mentioning shift can you tell us about what shift is as well because I'd love to hear more about that and also just your work with them yeah so shift is an organization here in Calgary they're under um, safe link Alberta which um, used to be called HIV community link there's a bunch of different organizations like underneath that umbrella and shift um, was one of them and shift is a organization that helps um, anyone currently or formerly in the sex work industry um, they do a lot of harm reduction for outdoor workers um, and a lot of harm reduction around um, workers who use substances, stuff like that, like safe sex supplies, um, harm reduction supplies for uh, using substances, stuff like that. Um, and 
yeah, I got connected with Shift, I think originally when I was working with agencies um, as a place to go get free condoms. Yeah. <laughs> so I would go to Shift and get like big, big bags of free condoms. We all know how expensive condoms can be, especially like the internal condoms or dental dams, stuff like that. So uh, that was really awesome to go there to get free stuff. Um, but then I started going there to get support counseling from one of the case managers that they had. Um, and during that time when I was getting support counseling, that was the first time a counselor had said to me that maybe I had a substance use issue, (laughs) (laughs) sort of like, do you need help with that? Um, so I think that that was really great for me to kind of, um, go and get free support counseling from somebody and somebody who was completely sex worker friendly and, um, encouraging and helpful. And, um, so they were able to connect me to like some resources, stuff like that, um, which was really nice. And, um, I think I hadn't really like been in contact with shift for a really long time after that. That was like right when I was first got into the industry. And then, um, when I got sober, I got reconnected with shift, um, by doing their shifting perspectives workshop, which is like an educational workshop they do with the public, um, to educate people about sex work. Um, and so I had done the shifting perspectives workshop because a friend of my civilian friend of mine wanted to do it. And I was like, Oh, I'm interested in going to this workshop. Actually, I want to see what they have to say about sex workers. Um, so I, I went in as a secret mole (laughs) and, uh, it was actually really, I really enjoyed it. And I thought that it was super informative and, um, just a really excellent way of educating the public about our industry. And so I got connected with the facilitator of that workshop and yeah just started volunteering with shift shortly after that um getting connected with them on different projects and um they asked me to join their advisory committee um so the advisory committee meets a few times a year just to make sure that we stay on track with um what sex workers actually want yes <laughs> um the organization to be doing because it's not a sex worker run organization gotcha. um so they just want to make sure that they have their advisors keeping them on track. Um, yeah, I've done lots of different events with Shift and um, gotten a lot of different opportunities to guest on um, other podcasts or um, just different like panels. I do a lot of panels for um, classes for the university, We've, like done talks for um, medical students or social work students, um, stuff like that. So yeah, that's been really rewarding. Yeah, definitely. And then recently this year, I started doing um, outreach. So I will go out with one of the case managers and we'll go to the stroll in Calgary, which is in Forest Lawn, and um, just walk around in person and try to find sex workers to hand out um, supplies to and just get into contact with them and try to get them resources that they might need. Um, and then if we don't find any outdoor sex workers, we just give them to anybody who needs them. <laughs> so That's awesome. Yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah. yeah I try to bring my dog with me Lucifer this is Logan Lucifer just walked away he's the puppy Uh, he comes with me out on outreach so it's always really fun to bring him and he cuddles up with all of the the people that we're talking to and yeah it's a really comforting little guy so yeah totally I mean who doesn't want a little puppy therapy right right (laughs) yeah that's awesome and that's so admirable too like it's just so nice to hear that like it it really shows that you're you're giving back to the community and also just you are really getting in touch with those sex workers 
when they need it and, and providing them with the resources that they actually need to do their job safely and effectively. So I love hearing about other like individuals that are doing this within their community because I'm, because I'm based in Vancouver, I'm not really sure what the, the efforts and initiatives are in Calgary. So it's really nice to hear that we have organizations out there. And I know there are a lot of listeners that are in the Calgary region as well uh, that are listening to the show and probably right now as well. So shout out to all the Calgarians out there. So hopefully this can help um, some people too, in case they were looking for some additional support. And it also sounds like you yourself obviously are a great resource to talk to. And that's the number one reason I wanted to bring you on the show is to speak about all of this. So <laughs> Um, I know when we were kind of chatting before uh, we pressed uh, record and also guys, um, or sorry, folks, at the time of recording here, um, it is end of June and uh, we just got the news last week uh, about the, um, the Roe v. Wade being um, overturned, unfortunately. And I know that you want to speak a little bit about that in terms of like how that relates to our sex work too. So we have a little bit of time uh, to kind of touch on that and also because I wanted to acknowledge that on the show too, even though this is being released way down the line, but um, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, that news was super heavy. It's what day is it today? Tuesday. Um, we got that news on Friday that that had happened and yeah, definitely feeling a lot of heaviness. Um, it's, you feel it on social media. I really like my heart goes out to, um, everybody in the in the states right now because it's not even just women that are being affected it's it's this, these are against everyone so um, it's not even just against people that needed abortions but just like everybody yeah, <laughs> um, so we're going to be seeing the effects of that um, I'm sure very soon we're already kind of feeling the effects of it emotionally um, and I've also just kind of been seeing the effects of that of um, friends of mine and and uh, especially my colleagues in the United States and in Canada. Um, yeah, super, super heavy. Um, it's always around times like these that just make me so fired up to speak about these types of topics, to break down stigma around sex and around sexuality and, um, and around sex work. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, you kind of, you take the moment, you feel those feelings, you, um, you know, be gentle with yourself and just um, try to breathe through it, but then also like use it as motivation um, to work towards reversing some of this kind of stuff. And also like, I was hearing a lot of people kind of talking about like, oh, I'm so glad that we don't live in the States. I'm so glad that um, we're Canadians and, yeah, you know, it's... I hear this type of thing like could happen anywhere <laughs> and there's already laws that are being passed in Canada that are trying to remove our body autonomy um, around sex work and around um, abortion but also just around fem feminism issues and LGBT issues and harm reduction um, addiction all of that so um, mental health stuff so like yeah we just need to stay vigilant um, and stay educated about these topics and keep talking about these topics as painful as they are. Um, it's, yeah, it's just really important. 
Yeah. And stay humble about the topic too. Like, yes, we don't have that in Canada currently, but because we are in such close proximity to the States and we all would often follow suit with our people in the States, our neighbors, it can lead up to here as well. So we can't be so dismissive. And also we can't be dismissive of all the other countries that abortions have already been restricted since the beginning of time. They've never been allowed ever. So we can't forget about those folks as well. And a lot of those people sometimes can be sex workers too, right? So it's just, it's, it's been a heavy week, weekend, week, days, minutes um, that we don't think about this. I just really, I have feelings, strong feelings about um, any kind of like state interference with um, bodily autonomy, really. It just makes me so angry. And this I'm sure I can probably do an episode on this entirely <laughs> at some point, but I, I just really want to take the time to say that we feel for um, everyone in the States um, that might be going through this, that are affected by this because you, you are, and you will be affected by this regardless. So I just want to kind of mention that today on the show, but um, Lula, there are a few questions that came in for you. So reverting the attention back to you <laughs> for the end of the show here. Um, um, I guess we'll kind of go into those if you're ready for them. Yeah, I'm so ready. Okay, questions, Q&A, my favorite part. So, yeah, this person is wondering, what are some sex worker-friendly organizations in Calgary? Yeah, um, so like I mentioned, Shift um, is super sex worker-friendly. Um, there's also the Answers Society, which um, is founded in Edmonton, but it's for all of um, central and southern Alberta as well. Um, that's like a really great organization that's actually founded and operated by sex workers. Oh, awesome. um, so yeah, love love to see it. Um, that's like a really great one. I'm trying to think of like other like specific organizations. There's um, SafeWorks here in Calgary that does a lot of like harm reduction services. They're super sex worker friendly. Um, there's um, the STI clinic um, at the Sheldon Schumer. Um, the Sexual Reproductive Health Clinic at Sheldon Schumer, all of those nurses are super sex worker friendly. Um, I go there all the time to get testing done. And I'm always cracking jokes with the nurses when they're giving me my swab in the back of my throat. And I'm like, remember, I told you I'm a sex worker. I don't get reflex. Like they, they love me there. So, you know, <laughs> these are how I test to see which organizations are sex worker friendly or not. Um it's, it's really interesting because, like, I find that, like, obviously when I talk about me being super open and honest and out about being a sex worker, you know, there comes a lot of, like, I'm a cisgender, white, middle-class woman. Like, I, obviously I'm going to have a lot of privilege in being able to be as out and open and outspoken as I am. Um, that is not the case for everybody and depending on a lot of factors – um, you might not feel comfortable being out and open. Okay, we, we don't need to dig into my couch right now. I'm trying to talk. Um, but uh, I just like the reason why I'm so passionate about doing this kind of stuff is because I know that um, a lot of people aren't able to be as open about it. And so if I can just kind of like put myself out there as a sex worker and try to test the waters to see which places are sex worker friendly, I will always do that. So awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. I yeah. love to hear that. <laughs> and thank you for those as well. Um, we have another question here. So rehabilitation facilities cause, cost so much money that I can't afford it. 
can you suggest some resources that are perhaps free? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of like government funded um, treatment centers. The one that I went to was government funded. Um, I did pay for my room and board there. It was about $2,000 for the fuck no it's still like six or eight weeks I can't remember. <laughs> um I paid for the room and board during that time but then the continuing care uh treatment that I received after leaving um was free um so all of the programming like everything like that was all free um I was on the waiting list for a very long time to get into that treatment center um there's a lot of other um government funded treatment centers like that Claire's Home, Aventa um there's a few more in Calgary, the, uh, the dream centers for men, um, a bunch of other, I'm sure if you just like typed in like government funded treatment centers, though, a bunch of them will come up. Obviously the private treatment centers are going to have a lot better programming. They're going to have a lot better living conditions. They're probably going to have a lot better, like more educated staff, uh, less staff turnover rates, those types of things, but they're super fucking expensive. Um, so definitely understand that there's also a lot of resources for like not inpatient treatment centers where like you just go in for a few hours um every day or every other day kind of thing there's one there's a really good program up at the foothills hospital um there's lots of other programs like that um around again the waiting list for stuff like this is really really long it's really damaging that it's really long and um for a lot of people that are in desperate situations that just need to get in somewhere um that can feel really frustrating so you know, reaching out to community resources like support group meetings. Um, it's, it can be life-saving. So stuff like that. I know it's, it, it's also really frustrating because a lot of recovery-based programming is abstinence-based, which isn't always um, completely necessary or where people are at with what they want. Um, they might just need help in other ways and they don't really want to have to abstain from all substances. So um, yeah, just try to go in with an open mind and just like realize that you can take what you need from these types of organizations or these types of, um, programs and, um, leave the rest behind. You don't need to, you don't need to take it all of the information or, um, all of the programming. Yeah. Gotcha. The last question here, Lula, uh, this person, person is asking, is it possible to become unaddicted to substances and quit cold turkey? I mean, yeah, I I don't know what unaddicted means. <laughs> Never heard of her. Uh, don't know her. <laughs> Never met her. Uh, yeah, I think like for myself personally, I think that like um, the way that addiction has shown up for me, um, obviously alcohol was my drug of choice for many, many years. Um, but addiction sometimes shows up for me in using my phone or um fucking vaping every time I'm around somebody with a vape pen I want to be hauling on their vape all the time um addiction shows up for me in food um in exercise in um sexual relationships in watching tv like all of these things right and so there's lots of things in our lives that aren't like inherently harmful and I don't really think that substances inherently are harmful either it's just sort of like how we're using them and how we might not have other ways to cope with what's going on in life. And when you have multiple different things to go to, to cope with um, that aren't substances or aren't food or aren't ways of escapism, like watching TV or being on your phone, 
um, you know, you find other healthy ways to cope with life. And um, if you have a bunch of those different ways to lean on, then it's not like you're leaning so heavily on this one thing all the time. And yeah, I think that that's really important. I don't think that I personally would ever be able to drink alcohol like a normal person ever again, just because I went so far into that addiction. Um, but that's not to say that like, I can never take medication or that I can never have sex or I can never eat food or like, you know, like all of those types of things. Like, um, I think that there's always a balance when it comes to this type of stuff. And, um, like I mentioned, like abstinence only programming doesn't work for everybody. It works for a lot of people. And so, um, me abstaining from using alcohol for the rest of my life, I totally am committed to that. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm unaddicted. <laughs> I wish, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Well, thank you for all those answers too. And I know that we're kind of going a little bit over time here, um, but I do value your time. And that's why I'm just trying to keep us um, within that little bubble. But before I let you go, Lula Blue, where can we find you? Okay. So I am on Twitter. Um, if you're a sex worker listening to this podcast and you're not on Twitter, you need to get the fuck on Twitter because it's free and we are all on there networking with each other and it's really great and supportive. And I love it. Obviously there's toxic places but like that's everything there's always the balance um so on twitter uh, my accounts are at lula blue the babe is my main account i also have at your lula is my backup account on twitter just in case my other one gets deleted because we all know it can yep. happen at any moment um my website is mygirlfriendlula.com um and my instagram is lula blue babe not without the the <laughs> um but if you're if, if that's too confusing and too much to think about if you google lula blue um my chatelaine article that marcelo decintio wrote is the first thing that comes up now and that's really cool because then that like has my twitter and everything underneath it yeah really nice. so i'm like i'm googleable really <laughs> <like that. laughs> makes it easy yeah, it definitely makes it easy. Someone worked hard on those SEO <laughs> keywords. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, for everyone else listening, and of course, be sure to like peep all those links. Go give her a follow. Go check out her website. Go check all the things. And if you are curious where you can find me, it is Stripped by Sia on Twitter as well. Stripped by Sia on Instagram. Uh, my Patreon, it's patreon.com slash stripped by Sia. Or my personal, which is Sia Stuff. Um, get out with Get at me with any feedback or comments, questions, um, ideas. I know a lot of you are pitching to be on the show too. So please pitch me. I really enjoy that. Um, and where else can you find? Oh, yeah, the podcast. You can find that in all podcast platforms. So uh, you can go ahead and follow on Spotify if you feel so inclined. You can also rate it five stars if you really like the show or whatever star rating that you like. And also uh, Apple Podcasts, you can also do a five-star rating there as well. And on Apple Podcasts, you can actually write a review, which really helps uh, people find the show in terms of like discoverability, finding uh, more podcasts that are similar like to this one. So you can go ahead and do that. Um, but that's pretty much it for today. Thank you so much, Lula Blue, for coming on to the show today. I had a fantastic conversation with you. Um, and I, for everyone, and also listening it's going to be new episodes every single Sunday so stay tuned for next week thanks Lula thank you so much for having me uh...
You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia. Music by Ted D. Graphic design by Maria Valentarama, and photography by Ian Davern. 